0: This recording is from Redemption Church in Tempe, Arizona. More information available at tempe.redemptionaz.com. Hey, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors uh, here. Just a little bit about Redemption Church. We are one church. We have nine congregations uh, seven in the valley, one in Flagstaff, one in Tucson. Uh, We believe all of life is all for Jesus. And so that's a phrase you guys hear a lot if you're a part of redemption. Uh, Simply put, we believe that on the cross and through the resurrection, that God was not only just uniting souls to himself, but he was promising to restore all things um, that he has created and make them all good again. And so we seek to make disciples in response to that truth. And one of the primary ways we do that um, is we believe in the gathering of people together and the preaching of the word. And so we've been going through the gospel of Mark uh, for a couple months now, and we're gonna continue to do such this morning. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter seven. We're gonna look at verses one through 23. Again, Mark chapter seven, one through 23. If you don't have a Bible, uh, why don't you slip up your hand, keep it raised really high, and then one of the ushers will get you a copy of God's Word. Um, If you don't own a Bible, go ahead and keep the one that we're handing out. Just raise your hand and keep it raised high so they can see you. Uh, Keep the one that we're handing out so that you can have your own copy of God's Word to grow in an understanding of Jesus. Now, on your way in, um, last week, you should have received um, one of these cards here that gives an update on everything that's happening this month and then some ways that you can get connected to redemption, some ways that you can serve through redemption or get to meet some people uh, through redemption, some classes, book clubs, etc. Um, if you didn't receive one of these, take one of these on your way out. Um, and any other information you need, you can go here or you can just check out our website at redemptionaz.com. So, Mark chapter 7 um, so far, in the gospel of Mark, we start off by saying that this gospel, this story of Jesus, was written by Mark on behalf of, the, of first Peter. For, I keep saying first Peter. Uh, Peter. Um, Peter was an apostle of, of Jesus, and he walked with Jesus and knew Jesus, and now Mark wrote on behalf of him. Now, the original audience that, that Mark is writing to, meaning the people who first heard this, were people who lived in the Roman Greco world, and it's going to make sense for us today in understanding today's message is that they were mainly non-Jewish people, but they were Gentiles. Now, if you're not familiar with Jews and Gentiles, um, Jewish people were people who were ethnically Jews, and then Gentiles was everybody else, or everybody else. all right. And so um, if you were not ethnically Jew, you're just a pork-eaten Gentile. And so um, most of the men and women that heard this letter were living in the Roman Greco world and trying to figure out how do they live as Christians now in this religion that continued from Judaism. Because Judaism had some strict laws on what to eat, what not to eat. However, the Gentiles had eaten certain things that would be normally seen as unclean by Jewish people. And so what Mark wants them to understand is how pure the gospel is, and the only thing that makes you unclean is none other than Jesus himself. And so this story is about Jesus interacting with the the scribes and the Pharisees and trying to let them know that it's not the external things that actually make you right before God. It's not even the external things that, that make you um, separated from God, but it's everything having to do with the heart. And so, so in essence, what we're looking at today is that what makes you unclean is not what you do or what you don't do. What makes you unclean is the disposition of your heart, and we're going to talk about that. Um, and then the w- only thing that makes your heart clean is Jesus. And so I have two things that I want you to walk away with uh, today, so you'll know from the front end. Um, one is this, is that you experience the grace of God. That, that, that my prayer is that at some point in our life, that not just we just know that God sent his son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, that whoever would believe in him should have eternal life. Like, just not cognitively knowing that, but you would experience the grace of God that you need Jesus. And the second one is this. We, this past week, we attempted our first vacation Bible school. We called it All of Life Camp. And some of you who grew up in church, you guys have been to vacation Bible school, and you know how lame that is. Um, so we tried, we tried to go, how could we not make it as lame, um, and, and it was a lot of fun to us. We'll, we'll see what the kids say in 15 years, right? Um, um, great, but what was good for me and all the pastors, we got a chance to be with all of these kids, first through sixth grade, and I haven't been around that many kids in so long to try to explain the truth to them. And, and you realize there's certain things with kids that you cannot do and you need to do, like you need to be very clear. Um, with kids, you, you can't be sarcastic. Um, they take everything literally, right? You say, hey, give me a sec. It's been a sec, Pastor Ricardo. I, oh, all right, all right. Let me tell you what God thinks about that. Um, so, so the second thing, though, is what the little kids do understand, and we understand as little kids, is I need Jesus in my heart. And sometimes we think that's just a simple thing that we teach kids, but I want you to get, one, that you experience the grace of God. Two is that you would want Jesus in your heart, and if you are a follower of christ that you'd be reminded that jesus is in your heart because everything that god is talking about today is it's not about the external it's about the internal and naturally by birth our hearts are internal it's not right and we cannot make it right by doing external things but god has sent his son jesus to make us unclean experiencing god's grace and that you would want jesus in your heart so let's go ahead and jump into god's word um before we do would you guys bow your heads with me let's pray and ask god the holy spirit to bless our time this morning together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you did send your son Jesus, and Jesus, you said this, that you have to leave in order that you would send another, and that you would send the Holy Spirit, and you would bring about to our memories, and our lives, and our thoughts, the work of Christ, but also the word of Christ. So today we pray that the word of Christ and the work of Christ, Lord, will be made manifest in our midst. That we would see and know Christ. We would trust him. That we would see that it's not what we do, Lord, that makes us right before you. It's not that what we do that makes us clean. But it's what Jesus has done. And we would let go of everything that we try to do to make ourselves clean before you and before others. And we would only cling to the cross of Christ and the power of the resurrection. God, would you do in us today that we wouldn't think, ask, or even imagine according to your work and your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, so we, we've, we've had experiences before in our life where we begin to realize uh, original sin. Now, original sin is something that we learn about or you've heard about it or the right books about it. And most people go, I have a hard time a learn, learning original sin. And then you have kids and you go, I get it. I get it right there. I don't need a book right there, right? And because kids teach you something about the nature of um, your own sin, but even theirs, right? So both of our boys, they, they, they sin in the same ways, but they respond to it differently. And so what we have is we had this DVD player um, on the, near the ground on this little television thing we had, and we would tell the boys early, like, don't touch that, don't touch that. And they get it. Like, the kids get it, right? And Noah, at 10 months, 11 months, would crawl up to it and what kids will do, and they look around, right? Because kids are really not that smart. And so they look to the right, they look to the left. We're standing right behind them. It's like, oh, they ain't here, right? (laughs) And then he touches it, and we turn, Noah. And he'll turn, he'll look, and then try to crawl away as fast as he can, right? Now, he doesn't know the doctrine of sin or original sin. He didn't know about Adam or Eve. He didn't know about any of that. But he did know, I did something, and I'm guilty for doing it, right? We had Eli a few years later. The same thing. The difference is how they responded. You'll see your kids are so different. Noah responds, tries to run away, stops Christ because he knows he's in trouble. Eli touches it, turns around, I know I'm in trouble. I know I wasn't supposed to touch it. (laughs) Right? And it's just (laughs) just different, right? It's different. But you, you, you see it, and they know that there's guilt. Now, we get older, and we experience it. Now, whether you follow Christ or you say that you're a Christian or not, you understand that there's guilt. You may not call it sin. You may not believe that there's a a moral authority or absolutes. But even if we say there's no moral absolutes, there is something in which we do or things in which we do that we all know universally that's not right. Like I ought not to do that. And yet I keep doing it. It's not right. And so we deal with a guilty conscience or we experience shame or whatever that may be. And we we live into that continuously. And then what we try to do is try to say, what can I do to make up for what I've done? Have You ever done that? Like here's what I'll do. As Christians, here's what we try to do. We try to make it really religious. So when we sin, it's like, I'm gonna remember Leviticus by heart, Lord. Like that's what I'm gonna do, right? Not gonna happen. Um, or what we do is we sin and we give it a period of time. Like if a time can just go by for a while, then like, like we think like, God's like our parents, like he'll forget, right? No, and then we have it. Or what happens is you do it and you think, I'm never gonna do it again, then you do it again you think I'm never gonna do it, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and you do it again, and you feel that guilt, right? And you wanna make things right. So as a pastor, right, I'm a pastor before I'm a preacher. I love preaching God's word, but I'm a pastor because I love being with people and hearing people's stories and sitting down with people because people are sinners and they're broken, and I love that because I'm a sinner and I'm broken, right? So game recognized game, so we're looking familiar, right? <laughs> so there, there, <laughs> a little Jay-Z quote just for the morning. Um, <laughs> And, and so there, there, there is, there is this, um, this, this allowing people to share their stories that you realize we all deal with guilt. Whether you've been the really good kid and you kind of did all the right things, you still deal with guilt. Or you've been the person who grew up going, I did all the wrong things, and you still deal with guilt. And then you become a Christian, you're like I'm free, I'm free, but then all of a sudden you realize, man, I'm still dealing with guilt. And there are all sorts of sins that come out of it. One of the things that's come up recently, not recently, I said one of the things that's come up more often is um, people in our congregation who struggle with the guilt of past sins, and particularly the past sin of abortion. And, and I realize that's something we don't really talk about. But we don't talk about it. Um, one, because a lot of it is politically charged. But let I me mean just tell you, abortion is not a political issue. <laughs> and nor are we talking about politics. we talking about Genesis 1 issue, that every single person is created in the image of God. And that there are many of us in this congregation who have gone through an abortion, men and women, and who are struggling with the guilt that are like, this is the one thing I know, like all the other sins I get, but this is the one that I've done that, man, I cannot get over. And you know what, I sit with them and I weep with them because that's part of my story as well. And this is not just from people who, knew Je- who didn't know Jesus and said, yeah, I did it before I knew Jesus. These are even some of us who knew Jesus. And what does that mean? That means that people who know Jesus and people who don't know Jesus are equally broken. And there's nothing we can do in ourselves externally to just kind of fix that, to kind of make it right. And if we keep trying to make it right, we're actually becoming further and further and further and further away from God. The, the religious thing to do is going, okay, here's what I want you to do, go to church. If you go to church, you'll be made right. Listen, going to church does not make you clean or right. The church is to point you to the one who does. Um, I'll read more of my Bible. Reading the Bible does not make you right. You read the Bible because it points you to the one who makes you right. So all of these external things are good, but they're things that we do ultimately to point us to the one who can cleanse us, who can heal us, who can, we can walk through our friends and our own sin and our guilt of our sin to say, there is one who stands near, who is holy, but also who's loving to be able to make us clean. The problem is, we don't naturally go to him, because that means we have to trust. That means we have to have faith Instead of, if I can give you a few things to do, and if you accomplish those things, you will be made right and trusting in yourself. Unfortunately, that's what happens a lot with religious people. And that's exactly what's happening in this this story that we have today with Jesus. Now, remind you, the people who are hearing this are Gentile people who are trying to figure out themselves, how do I live out this new faith in Christ when a lot of the rules and regulations I don't really understand. And now what Mark does in telling this story is saying, here's how Jesus handled the religious in his day and ultimately pointed to himself. So pick up with me in chapter seven, verse one. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him and with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Let's pause here. So here's what's happening. Pharisees and scribes. We talked about them. It's been probably a month since we talked about the Pharisees. Pharisees were a group of very, very religious people. These were like the most religious people. These were the people who got all the VBS awards, right? They marched in the army. They knew Father Abraham. They knew everything, right? Every Bible verse they had, right? They knew the word of God. Now, oftentimes in church, um, what you have is people go, yeah, the Pharisees, they're bad. Most Christians are like Pharisees. We just don't like to admit it. Their people, their intentions, right, was we want to know God's word. The people that came before us, they, our ancestors, they didn't obey God's word, we're gonna be strict on God's word. Like we're gonna know his word, memorize his word, and so forth. Um, the scribes, just like them. The scribes were professional lawyers. And that lawyer is the way that we think about it. People who looked at the word of God and they, 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 they followed the law and they wrote it down. And the law was um, the Pentateuch, or what is known as the Torah. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. And that they would write all those things down, their problem was not that they loved God's word. Is that they interpreted God's word, which wasn't their ultimate problem, but they made the interpretation of God's word as more important or equal to God's word. So they taught what God, they took what God had called them to do, even individually, and they made blanket statements and generalizations saying, everybody ought to do this, and if you are not doing this, then you are no longer walking right with God, and therefore you are in sin. And so they created all of these things for people to do that God never said that people had to do. And so they were actually discipling people away from God, even though they thought that they were discipling them towards God. There's a level of arrogance there. So those are the Pharisees and the scribes. Meanwhile, they're about to encounter god himself now this is the irony of this story you have two people the groups of people the pharisees and the scribes who were deeply religious deeply wanting to do the right things deeply immersed into god's word but they totally miss god but let that be a warning for us because now when they begin to talk to god like they go to god jesus himself and they go hey god you guys aren't doing it right (laughs) like you probably should never go to god and tell him he's not doing something right right That's that's like one-on-one, right? But that's exactly what happens here. So the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, verse 2, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and, and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do you, your disciples, do not or walk according to the tradition of elders, but eat with defiled hands? Okay, so here's the picture. It seems like they're going to Jesus and they're going, hey, Jesus, this is wrong. Your disciples aren't washing their hands. What's up with that, bro? That's gross, right? Just kind of just seems like this is simple washing hands. It's more than that. So what they talk about here is the tradition of the elders. Here's what the tradition of the elders were, is that the men of God, They took God's word, and they took the interpretation of God's word. And then they took the interpretation of God's word, and they began to apply it, but they applied it as if it was God's word. And before we kind of go, well, that just seems weird. We would never do that. We do that. It'd be like this. Um, External things matter. Like Jesus is not saying, don't do anything external. Like Don't do anything that looks religious. He's not saying that. Um, Think about something like fasting. Fasting is something that people do to remind themselves of their hunger of God. Fasting doesn't make them holy or right, but it reminds them how much they need God. Um, Things that we do externally are good things. They're symbols. But the problem is if we now begin to apply those things to everybody as God's standards, we are in the wrong, right? So this is more than just, hey, go in there and wash your hands. If you don't wash your hands, God doesn't love you type stuff, right? This is God himself um, trying to explain to the Pharisees what is real religion and what is not real religion. Well, going even further than that, um, they had traditions like... Um, how they were supposed to eat, how they weren't supposed to eat. That's nothing that God said. And a lot of their traditions were to separate them ethnically from all the Gentiles, and they thought would draw them closer to the Lord. I mean, we're talking about how to wash pans and pots and wine glasses and things like that. Um, The Bible did prescribe for mainly the priests that they had ceremonial washings that they needed to have. Because the priests were the ones who represented the people of God in the Old Testament to God. So they'd go in the temple. And there's certain washings that they had to have to symbolize that they were pure before God, to show that God was holy and they needed to be clean to come into the presence of God. Their washing of themselves with water was not actually making them clean. But outside of that, God didn't give all these other prescriptions. These are the things that the Pharisees and the scribes added. So when they look at Jesus, they're going, hey, God, Jesus, something's wrong. And Jesus is like, what? They're not washing their hands, right? Like that's, That's hard religion now. Now you're getting on people for not washing their hands. And Jesus looks at them and he begins to respond to them in this way. Verse six, and he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, you leave the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men. Here's what he's saying, and quoting Isaiah, he goes, you guys are hypocrites. Oftentimes we hear that word and then we hear that word towards Christians, all Christians are hypocrites and the normal understanding of hypocrites, Christians are, by hypocrite if you mean you guys say some things, but then you don't always live up to what you say, yes, we're all hypocrites. The Bible calls that sinners. <laughs> um, hypocrites in the Bible is taken from Greek theater and the way they would work then as actors is they would, they would put on a face, um, a mask, and then they would act out a character. And that wasn't really who they were, but when they put the mask on, they would act like whatever character that would be. And if they had changed character, they'd take that mask off, and they'd put another mask on, and they'd act that out. But it wasn't really who they were, it's just the way that they acted. he goes, you guys are like that. You're putting on a face as if you're holy. You're putting on a face as if you're religious. You're putting on a face as if that's not who you really are. You're putting on a face as if you were so close with God and you're speaking on behalf of God, but that's not the truth. You are now taking your own um, convictions and applying them to everybody else. Let me, let me talk about what that could be like in our day. That could be like you reading the scriptures and the Holy Spirit placing on you a conviction. That conviction, you, see, you might be called by God to say, hey, you should not drink alcohol, right? And that's a conviction that God has placed on you. But the Bible does not place that on everybody else. And they'd be like you, telling everybody else you should not drink alcohol, you shouldn't taste alcohol. Get rid of the, the wine, only the grape juice. Welch's is ordained by God, the box wine's not, right? <laughs> that that would be us placing that conviction on everybody else, or it'd be think, things that you know normally come up like rated R movies or not rated R movies. Um, uh, some people have called uh, God. Some people could could watch rated R movies, some people could not. Music they listen to, or or dancing, right? Some people by God are allowed to dance, and many of you guys by by God are, have not been given the ability, um, and so that, that's, not, that's, that's not, it's not here or there, right? And so <laughs> it's, a, it's a question of ability on that one, but uh, there, there is a sense where now it's taking those things that are usually called as freedoms or non-freedoms and then placing them on everybody. That now becomes legalism because you're saying God says this. He may have said it to you, but it doesn't mean he said it to everybody. We know what he says to everybody because it's written in his word, and, he, and Jesus is looking at them and going, you guys don't get it. He goes, you guys are hypocrites. You're acting, you're playing, you're pretending. Your heart is far from me. And he goes, well, did Isaiah years ago prophesy about you? He said, these are people, their lips talk one thing, but their hearts are far away. Meaning they're they're talking a big game, but they have no intentions on actually loving God. And he says, you actually hold to the traditions higher than you do God. Like whatever these traditions are, you're more concerned about the fact that this guy's washed his hands or not than if he loves God. And we have that even in our own culture. Unfortunately, even in church culture. I did a wedding where the couple had had a baby before they were married. Everyone said, hey, you're gonna marry this couple there in sin? And I said, I-, I think you should probably get to know their story. Did you know that that's not even his baby? And that she came to know Jesus through that. He'd been a Christian his whole life. They met each other, they had trusted in God, and now they're getting married. And this little baby now who didn't have a dad has a dad. They're not in sin. They're sinners who've been redeemed by God's grace. But it'd be so easy for us to look at things from the external and go, that's not right. We're not God. (laughs) Right? God looks at the heart. And he's saying, you're looking at the washing of hands and you're missing it. And in missing it, you're actually rejecting the word of God, he says. Look, and he gives them an example of this. He he said, you're not just going past God's word and and trying to be so faithful to God's word and taking his interpretations and even taking the traditions, you've actually closed the word of God and you're no longer trusting in the very thing that you started off with. Read with me here in verse nine. He said said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. By the way, that's sarcasm from Jesus. So when people say, you know, Jesus is not sarcastic, the Bible's not sarcastic, well, Jesus was. Oh, I'm just trying to be like, G- what would Jesus do? You know, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. So he says, you have, a, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition, he goes, you're missing the point. Verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. No, that's not usually the um, memory verse that we teach our kids. (laughs) True story, so my wife's in an internship right now and so she's away in a hotel for a week and a half, right? And she's away from us, don't feel bad for her. They got her posted up in the Ritz, the Ritz, all right? (laughs) I only know Ritz crackers, she's at the hotel, right? And so I've been the single dad for for the past week or so. Mothers who stay at home with kids, God bless you. (laughs) Goodness, right? And and what happens with, with kids when you're with them all day long, they you you know, the, you know they show their colors. And so I wanted to print this out and say, hey boys, here's what we're gonna re- memorize for this week. If you don't obey me or your mother, um, it says you should die. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> right? So what, what, what Jesus is doing here is he knows the scribes and the Pharisees, they know Moses. If there's anybody they understand and they know is they know Moses because they study the law. And Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And so Moses says this. He goes, Moses says you should honor your mother and honor your father. Now, in that day, you would get raised by your family and you would get, you would get older, they would get older. You would have property and land and so forth. And your parents would get to an age where they could not take care of themselves. And that you would come in and you would take care of your parents and, that, and their old age honoring them. Um, that wasn't just that day, by the way. (laughs) Um, That's what is is biblical and right to care for them. Now, what he says is, that's what you were supposed to do because that's what God's word says. He goes, but there's things in your traditions that you guys are upholding that actually nullifies that, meaning rejects that. And he goes on and he gives an example of how their tradition is getting in the way of God's word. He says, but you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then no longer permit Um, and no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. He's saying you're trying to get to the point where you can do it all yourself, to the point where you are not even trusting in God anymore, that your traditions tell you that a man could look at something, look at his parents, and go, sorry, this is Corbin. And I know most of us are like, we don't even know who Corbin is right, Um, Corbin was this, it was a vow, that you would take your land, your possessions, and you would would dedicate it to the Lord, and so it'd be given to the temple. And so what it's saying is, when I die, all the proceeds that can come from this cattle, this land, or this home, or whatever it is, will go towards the temple as an offering, as a giving. It was a good thing. But what it meant was, once you dedicated that, you can use it and you can get all the benefits, but if somebody else wanted to use it, they could not. And you could look pretty religiously and go, I'm sorry, You can't have anything because it's going to God. I can have it, but when I die, it goes to God. But you can't have any of it even now. And he goes, well, what happens now is that men were going to their mother and to their father and going, sorry, I can't feed you because this is going to God. That I I care about God. Now, the the contradiction there is going, yeah, um, because I'm loving God, hungry person, I can't feed you. Like, that doesn't make sense. And he was saying, but that's what you're doing. That you're actually having a tradition that's held so high that you're actually now ne- um, neglecting God's word to actually honor your mother and your father for it. He goes, that's, that's, that's dumb. He didn't say that, but like that's, that's dumb. And he says this, there's other things like that. Now, as Christians, we go, but we don't, we're not giving up our homes. We're not doing that. But there are things we do. I remember thinking about this. One of the reasons why we don't have as a church multiple programs and things that are happening, and I'm not trying to say if you have a church or you go to a church that has those things, it's wrong. I'm not saying that. But was part of it is when I was pastoring um, at a different church one time, and I was a youth pastor, and there was always events we were doing with all these kids, and all my friends who were not Christian were like, hey, can you come do this with us? And I was like, no, I got this going on at the church. Hey, what are you doing on Wednesday night? "Uh, I got this going on at the church. Uh, And it's like, I can't even actually live out the witnessing of being a person of God because I'm always here. Like it's actually getting in the way of what God says. And so let's make sure that we don't do all these things that look religious or make us religious. You don't need, you don't need another Bible study. Everyone thinks I need a Bible study. No, you need to love God and love your neighbor. How do you know that? Because Jesus says you need to love God and love your neighbor, right? Anytime we stand on Jesus' word, we stand on solid, solid ground. We just sing that song. Um, these men were taking good things making them main things, and they were ultimately missing out on God. Let this be a warning for us. There are things that we can do that are good things, that we do so much, we think if we do all these good things, it will be great. The good things are not the main thing. If the things are truly good, they'll point you to the main thing, and they'll always be about the main thing, they'll always be about the gospel, and they'll always be about Jesus. Um, religion will give you things to do, um, the gospel will give you one to follow. Religion will tell you where you're wrong and what you need to do to make yourself right. The gospel will tell you where you're wrong and how God makes it right. Religion will tell you ultimately here um, that there's no hope unless you can do better things and then the gospel will always tell you there's hope but it's only found in Jesus, amen? Well, now Jesus begins to explain to them what, what it's really like, how we and ourselves can become clean because all of us are unclean. And he's trying to show them everybody is unclean. And you don't make yourself clean by doing things. He says this in verse 14. And he called the people to him again. And he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. He says this parable. He says, There's nothing that's going to come into you that, that, that makes you defiled or unclean. It's already in you. And what it does is it just comes out of you and that's what defiles a person. It's on the inside, it's the heart. Well then he goes a little further, verse 17, and when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? And so here's what happens. He gets done talking to the Pharisees and the scribes and all the people are there and he tells the parable. Like it's not about what comes in, it's about what comes out. And the disciples, right, being good Christian kids were like, yeah, yep, that's true. And then they get back in the house like Jesus, We don't understand what you were saying. Could you really? (laughs) We're just faking it, right? Um, And then Jesus gives them the example here, or explanation, he says, and he said to them, that are you without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. Now, what he's saying here is kind of graphic, but he's giving a biological example. He goes, it's not what comes in. When you eat something, That's not what defiles you, because it goes into your body through your digestive system and then it's expelled, use your imagination. But it never goes to your heart. It never goes to your heart. It uses this physical understanding to to, to teach us something spiritual. It is your heart that's already defiled. It's already defiled. It's that what we talked about, that sin. And we've said this here at the church all the time. We don't become sinners when we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Another way to say it is we are naughty by nature. It's one of my favorite ones, actually. <laughs> that, that that's who we are, and we cannot cleanse ourselves from those things, that, that, that um, people would say, this person caused me to do it. Like, no, you, the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do anything. This person made me do it. This person didn't make you do anything. That person might have provided the context, but what came out of you was already in you. Here's the deal. We're more wicked and flawed than we ever could think. Some of you have never done the worst things, right? You're like, I've never done those things, but you've thought about them right? I've always said this, like, wouldn't it be just amazing, and it would be like a level playing field, if God somehow just took all our thoughts like a cartoon and start putting them in the air, and you got a chance to read everybody's thoughts in here right now. Everybody would be like, oh, oh, right? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> st- stop, right? Because our hearts, their har- hearts. I told you, man, the, the, you know, going back to this with this, your mothers, or fathers, whoever, with your kids for a long period of time, um, Sometimes I would tell Holly, like, hey, why are you so hard on the kids? I get it. <laughs> and it's not that, you know, my kids, you know, they're, you, you could be with kids for so long, and you do, you love them, you love them, you love them, and then, and then you're like, you know what, leave, right? <laughs> and, and, and the reason, the reason is, it's not because of what they do, but they provide a context for what is already in me to come out, right? And what happens when that stuff keeps coming out? Um, what happens when you continue to live in it? What, what happens when all of that sin that's in you and, 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 and you realize, man, even as a Christian, this stuff is still in me. I thought God, I thought God took the sin away, he took the penalty of sin away. He's given you the means to be able to conquer sin in your life. Um, he, he's died in such a way that one day he will take away evil, but as right now in this life, there's still this thing called the flesh and we still act in it. And let's not be ignorant to think that somehow being a Christian means I get better and better and better. I'm 60%, then I'm 80%, then I'm 100%. No way, you're still 100% sinner. The difference is that you begin to trust in Jesus. And, and you have this picture of Jesus just saying, guys, it's not what, what, what goes in you. It's already there, and it's already in you, and it's gonna come out of you at some point. And some of you, what's really easy, is sometimes is for most of us who've kind of done some really, really dumb things. It's those of you who have kind of always been sweethearts you kind of always done the right things, maybe here and there, but nobody knew about the things you really did bad. That's who God is actually talking to in this text. The Pharisees, he goes, don't you guys get it? Just because you haven't done this, just because you did do that, just because you know that doesn't, not, doesn't mean that you're different than somebody else. So here's the deal. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, we're all equally as broken. And whether you're a Christian or not, you still need to experience the grace of God and you need Jesus. And you need Jesus in your heart. Because right now, your heart is dysfunctional. It doesn't beat the way it's supposed to beat. It doesn't actually allow you to live the way that you are supposed to live. And here's what Jesus says here, talking about the heart. Verse 20, he says this, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From, what, from within, out of, our heart, of, out of the heart of, heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Interesting, Jesus goes, there are about six of these that he, that he mentions are actions, I meaning those are the things that you do, and you do them as a result of the condition of your heart. And those of you who have actually never done those things, he lists six there that are all disposition. Those are the things you think about. Oftentimes we we always talk about, and people think about what are the worst sins and things like that, so we throw all these things up there, and and there's a lot of books written on it, whether it's, you know, sexual sin, abortion, homosexuality. Um, In the church, there should be a lot of blogs written on slander. No, 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 there should be a lot of blogs written on gossip, because Christians, we know how to gossip, and we over-spiritualize it. Now, I'm just telling you that so that you could be praying for them. No, you're not. <laughs> that, 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 that we all are in this position together, and we need for Jesus to be in our hearts. Now, after the service yesterday, this, this first service, um, the 9:30 service, this lady came to me, and she says, "Pastor," which I know that she's new to the church. Um, <sighs> she, actually, she said, "Reverend." She said, "Reverend." I said, "Where?" <laughs> uh, and she was talking to me, and um, and she said, "Do you?" Now something I would to ask about your, your, your message today, what do you do when you realize your heart is broken? What do I do to actually make it right? What do you, realize, what do, you do when you realize you're unclean? I said, you look only to the one who can make you clean. And she goes, that's it. I said, you look to Jesus and that's it, you trust in him, that's it. She goes, I've been a Christian my entire life and I've never known that. And she broke down. She said, I'm so glad I showed up to this church. And I said, I'm so glad you showed up to this church too, it was amazing. She got to experience the grace of God. And I pray all of us, at moments in our life, God begins to open up and just experience, gives us the experience of himself. But it first first comes to what she said, I acknowledge that my heart is broken. If you're a Christian and you're not still acknowledging that your heart is broken, you are missing out. You are missing out. We've seen so far through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus draws near to the ones who are unclean. You see, it was the Pharisees who said, what makes you unclean is hanging out with Gentiles. And we see in the beginning of Mark, Jesus eating with the tax collectors. And he's saying, when you eat with people, it means that you associate with them. And then what is true of them is now said of you, and what is true of you is now said of them. If it's what true of Jesus is said to those, man, that means a lot. That Jesus goes, or we see it chapters later, that he goes to the leper who's not supposed to be touched, who literally has to walk around and say, I'm unclean. I can't worship God. I can't worship God with other people. I need to be away from people because I'm so separated from God. I'm unclean. And what does Jesus do? He touches him and he heals him. And he says, by your faith in me, you were made well. You are clean. Jesus declares him Clean. And a few weeks ago, we learned about the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, who too could not be touched, not be hugged, could not come together and hear God's word taught, could not worship God. And then she says, if I could just touch the hem of his, of his garment, I would be made well. And Jesus looks to her and says, just by your faith in me, you were made well. Jesus here says, it's not what goes in you that, makes, that defiles you. It's what comes out of you. And he says, thus, he declared all foods clean. The God of this universe who was holy, who was other, and whom we cannot approach by water, who we cannot approach by good deeds, who we cannot approach by good works, actually approaches us and he declares every single person who acknowledges their uncleanliness, who acknowledges their sin and their need of a savior, he declares you clean. He declares every person who's gone through the violence of sin, abortion or not, he declares you clean every single person who struggles with the guilt of past sin, sexually, morally, whatever, he declares you clean. Um, That maybe there's people in the church that might have said you were unclean. He, He, because of himself, says I declare you clean. Because he no longer treats you like the world treats you, or even the way you treat yourself, but now the Father treats you as if he treats Jesus, that he now says, Jesus will take upon all your uncleanliness and all the results and all the penalty of your uncleanliness, ultimately on the cross, which itself, the cross, the location where Jesus died for us, was in a place where everybody would throw all the uncleanliness things. And that we may be made clean, that we may be made righteous, that we are now found holy, not because of what we've done, but all because of what Jesus has done, amen? So let me close with this experience of grace and why you need Jesus in your heart. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, all that means is this. I no longer trust in myself to make myself clean. I don't trust in something I can accomplish or something I have accomplished, good or bad. I trust in Jesus to make me clean. And if he can't make me clean, then I'm no longer clean. But if he can, I'm clean for all eternity. And and it's as simple as that. It's trusting in Jesus, um, that Jesus comes into your heart and he begins to rearrange and rework your heart in such a way that it begins to look like him and live for him. That's asking Jesus into your heart. No longer trusting in yourself, but trusting in Jesus. So that's Jesus in your heart. Now, experiencing the grace of God, because what happens when someone begins to trust in Jesus, their life begins to change because they begin to look like him so about a year and a half ago, there was a girl at this church who said, hey, my friend in college with me is pregnant, and she wants to have an abortion. Would you meet with her? I said, yeah, I'd love to meet with her. So this girl walked in, and we met, and, and um, we met it several times, and I finally said, hey, you know, she's got an, I got an appointment um, this Friday, and it was a Wednesday, and I said, well, um, can you postpone your appointment? And uh, does your boyfriend know that you're pregnant? No, he doesn't know. He doesn't care. He's not going to want the baby either. And I said, well, let's, let's meet with him. And so she postponed it and the boyfriend came in and and they both were in tears and and so forth. And I counseled them both to go, hey, let's not do this. How about you guys move back home? They were both from the same area in a different state, that family there. Why don't you guys move back home? And and, uh, they moved back home. Why don't you guys connect with the church? They connected with the church and they both begin to ask Jesus into their heart. And here's the thing about asking Jesus into your heart. We've said this before. He doesn't become a passenger. He doesn't become a co-pilot. He says, sit in the back, buckle up, it's going to be bumpy. <laughs> and he flies that mug, <laughs> right? And what happens is your life begins to change. And so they end up having this baby. They get connected to a church. And then I get a phone call from them saying, hey, we're going to get married. We want you to fly out here and do the wedding. So last week, my wife and I flew out to Colorado to do this wedding. And I'm telling you, Outside of having my kids and marrying my wife, the best experience I've ever had, I experienced the grace of God. Because you can hear, oh, yeah, this child's life was saved. But then when I got to the house, um, we, you know, and it was an experiment getting there. I don't know if you guys follow the Weather Channel, but Denver was incredible last week. There was like, there was a tornado. It was raining crazy. I'm driving to the hotel, and they're like, there's a tornado, 30 miles, 30, 30 miles. I told Holly, I've always loved you, but this could be it, girl. <laughs> um, this could be it. <laughs> And we, we got there, and I'm like, hey, can you you know wake up the baby? I really want to see the baby. And so they wake him up. He's nine months old, and, it, and and you know babies are always groggy, and they don't like anybody but their moms. And uh, and I and I pick him up, and, it, and he has that look like he's about to start crying. And he looks at me, and he puts his head on my shoulder, and then he smiles. And then his mom goes, it's like he knows, and she starts crying. My wife, who has cried three times, she 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 starts crying. I start crying. Um, and I'm just like, this is amazing. Because this is what happens when God comes in to people who would say, you're unclean. And then he cleanses them. He comes in their hearts and begins to change their life. There's a picture here of me a baby and the baby. So I thought now since then, I'm gonna adopt a white baby. <laughs> We're gonna start a new trend. We're gonna start adopting white, white babies from Eastern, Eastern Europe. the opposite of so it was amazing most amazing wedding in the world uh, that I that I have been able to be a part of you know and you know so you see oh yeah there's a baby out of wedlock oh man they're they're probably just shotgunning what no 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 what I experienced was this is what happens when Jesus comes into your heart and he begins to take over and that is available for every single person who would realize you are unclean, but Jesus, and only in Jesus are you declared clean. And then you're always clean, because his blood washes you of your sin, past, present, and future. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your son Jesus in which we have new life, and in which we are made righteous. Lord, we confess that we would rather for you to accept us on the things that we do We'd rather for you to create some ladder that we can climb up to reach you instead of just being accepted because you accept us. So we ask, Lord, by your Holy Spirit that we would just realize the only need we have is need in itself, and that we need to accept your acceptance of us. That we do not look to ourselves to wash ourselves, we do not look to our past to kind of fix our past, that you have not given us a prescription of how we could be fixed, but you've given us Jesus as a savior, and one, one who enters in through the power of your spirit and through your word, and that you wash us as white as snow. God, that before you we stand pure. There's not a ring that makes us pure. There's not a person that makes us pure. There's not anything, Lord, now that makes us impure because we were completely washed clean through the one who declares us clean in Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for Jesus, Lord. We ask that his name will be exalted in and through us that every heart in this room that is ready to accept you, to re- ready to accept you as Lord and Savior would do so much. And those of us who have already believed in you, that we would have an experience of your grace again to be reminded of who we are in Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name.